You're listening to NCG Top 100s, a National Club Golfer podcast. Hello everyone, welcome to the inaugural NCG Top 100s podcast. In each episode, we're going to take you inside a virtual clubhouse, if you will, and get the inside stories about the courses that feature in the rankings list you can peruse on our website at nationalclubgolfer.com. I'm joined, as I will be for all of these ventures, by the man ultimately responsible for putting these lists together, NCG Top 100s Chairman Dan Murphy. Dan, welcome. Thank you very much, Steve. Uh, pleasure to be here. Hello, everyone. And we start with one of England's most distinctive and imaginative layouts, J.F. Abercrombie's masterpiece, The Addington. So how do we describe a Heathland course like no other? Well, NCG's course review of the Croydon layout has had a pretty good stab at it, and let's give you an inkling. If you were compiling a list of criteria as to what makes for an outstanding golfing experience, this course would satisfy most of them, it says. There is character in abundance, several holes not easily, if ever, forgotten, a number of truly great holes, variety, character, the occasional birdie chance, fast-running fairways, and holes that offer the chance of doing something heroic. Hopefully, we've laid on the superlatives thickly enough there for our special guest today, and that is the Addington's Managing Director, Ryan Nodes. Welcome, Ryan. Hello. So we've given listeners a little taste there as to the character of the Addington, but um, enlighten us, Ryan, if you could, about how your family came to be involved with this great course. Um, Well, my father purchased it in 2006 um, after the owner. She passed away in 2004 and uh, we've taken it on since then, really. And uh, I don't think we realised exactly what we had as we uh, we have a group of golf courses and um, they're, they're mostly modern courses. This one, though, built in 1913, was a bit of a different animal. Um, we spent the first few years taking out a lot of the overgrowth and started to expose some of that original architecture. And as we've learned more and realised what we've had, we've now, over the past few years, committed to a uh, course restoration plan with um, architects Clayton de Vries and Pont. You've got an architectural supergroup there, really, haven't you, um, in those three, which which complements actually the original um, design, which was obviously Abercrombie with Colt as a consultant. Yeah, we we didn't, I mean, we, we'd heard rumours about Colt being involved, but we weren't too sure. And uh, part of the process with CDP was to really dig into the history to start with before we did anything to try and compile as much information as possible. And uh, yeah, what we unearthed was a load of articles and newspaper articles and um, photos even that, that prove that Colt was involved and refer to his involvement. Um, although the, the clubhouse burnt down in 1952, so there's so much has been lost in terms of the history and the information. But uh, the course being built in 1913 and then the breakout of World War One had a big delay between when it was actually constructed and then when it was actually opened formally in 1919. So what we think happened was he actually was involved in 1913. Then actually at the formal opening, that was a, a good you know five, six years later, 
And uh, at that point, we think it was just Abercrombie. And we know that he, Abercrombie, lived on site and spent the rest of his life there. Well, I guess the, the, um, just to set the scene, Ryan, for, um, um, for some of our uh, listeners who don't know the Addington very well, it's just just describe um, wh- whereabouts it is. It's quite an unusual location, isn't it? An unusual, an unusual place for a golf course and a, a part of the world where you're not necessarily thinking about golf. Yeah, it's southeast London. Uh, most of the got good, great golf around London is in that southwest corridor out towards Weybridge, the Sunningdales and St George's Hills. And um, the Addington is in in Croydon, uh, London borough of Croydon. And towards the southeast, it, the whole area was just in, enveloped in development after World War II. Um, whereas it used to be a, a little suburb, it's a half hour's drive from London. Uh, now it's, um, you know, it's part of Greater London, been absorbed by it. And uh, it, yeah, it's, it's an unusual spot for a Heathland golf course. Uh, mostly gravel. There's the site is incredibly undulating. Not many bunkers because most of the topography does the work for you on the golf course, um, which also means that it hasn't actually changed much in a hundred years. So what we've got is a, a sort of a preserved golden age golf course um, with some really exciting land. And it's it, it's very high up, isn't it? Um, and the, there are absolutely incredible views of the London skyline. Um, and I'm, and I'm sure that as, as we'll go on to, um, probably more can be revealed in the in the years to come. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's uh, part of what we want to do is, is open up the playing corridors. And as we're doing that, we're getting some phenomenal views over the site. And then, as you said, over London in the distance, it's uh, some parts of the golf course overlook you know, miles and miles and miles. Clearly, the, it's, the, it's the location of the, of the Addington, I guess, is how it came to be part of your... Altonwood portfolio in the first place is is that right? Obviously, it's um, you know it's, yeah. it's Crystal Palace, um, uh, which is what a lot of us know your family for originally. Yeah, well, d- Dad, I think always he got into golf late in life, and I think the the idea was that uh, with football it was always hard keeping young kids with a bit of money out of trouble, and they'd finish training at you know half one two o'clock, and uh, he wanted his idea was to have a low impact activity that he could get the team to 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 do together, um, keep them out of trouble in the afternoons after training. And putting a golf course next to the training ground back in the 90 when golf was all, 90s when golf was all the rage, uh, he thought that would be a brilliant idea. So he, he built Western Golf Club, which was not too far from the Palace training ground at Godston. And uh, yeah, for a while it, it worked very well, but it was, it was short-lived with his, I mean, he, he sold Palace in 98 and Westrum opened in 97. Um, but all the players were members and the membership sold well as because they got to play golf and be members of the club where they'd see the, you know, their, the, uh, their heroes on the pitch playing, you know, in after training. Um, so yeah, that, that worked well. And there's still some players actually that are members in the group. Um, but that then morphed as he retired out of football into uh, a, a love for golf. Um, and then, now with five courses, including the Addington in 2006. Um, yeah, that's where we are today, is the Altonwood group. And just to, to, just to explain, and I mean absolutely no disrespect to the other courses uh, in the group, uh, when did you realise that the Addington was, was, was something slightly different, um, that you had something something special on your hands? Because um, presumably that was it, was, it was over a period of time that, that became apparent to you. Yeah, well, in terms of what the potential was, I think that did 
perhaps take a bit more time, but uh, we always knew it was special. I mean, it was always uh, clearly a, a phenomenal golf course. And uh, I mean, dad always regarded it as one of his great achievements. I mean, when he was growing up, uh, it's not the type of course that would have let him in. And uh, to then be able to buy it, uh, and yeah, he always said was one of his, the, you know, most proudest achievements of his life. So um, that it's, it's a sort of was a traditional members club, um, but unique in the sense that it, it was a traditional members club that then ended up in, in singular, singular proprietary ownership. Um, so it's unusual in that sense to have one of these original golden age architecture you know, quote unquote, great golf courses, proper golf courses, um, not as a private members club. For, for people who haven't been there, um, who might be listening to this podcast and thinking about going, can you can you give us a, an idea of, of what it's like as a, as a course? Because it's very unusual, isn't it, compared to um, some of the other courses in your group, for example, not to mention yeah. some of the other courses people might have played in the country. Yeah, I mean, uh, so it's very undulating it's um i mean frank pont is one of the architects of cdp he would say that uh, when you've got colt and abercrombie together if colt had designed the course exclusively he would have cited the past par threes first and there are these ravines where gravel was excavated over the years it's just a pure gravel site which makes it very firm um but where the gravel's been excavated to build some of the roads over the last 200 years before the course opened uh, there are ravines and huge crater bunkers and bridges going across them. So it's quite dramatic. But um, the point about Colt citing the par threes is that he would have chosen those dramatic air carries to cite the par threes. Whereas Abercrombie actually did the opposite. He he used the longer holes over the dramatic land. So you get this quite a unique, very dramatic land on the longer holes, which I think makes it even more exciting than it otherwise would have been uh, and he uses the par threes to traverse you uphill to get to higher ground which you don't really notice when you're playing in a hole you, you notice walking uphill if you're between a green and a tee uh, you don't necessarily notice it so much where you're going uphill in the middle of a hole so yeah I, I'd say big land movement uh, lots of drama and, and great views and presumably um, over the years as development has happened and as trees have been planted and, and and so on that perhaps the character of that original layout has altered somewhat over the generations yeah definitely you've got um i mean that i mentioned the lady that owned it and that died in 2004 she her father bought it i think in the 50s or and he died early and left it to her in the late 50s early 60s and Abercrombie had died just before World War Two, and, and she saw it as Abercrombie's masterpiece. And she, I think, with very good intention, said, God looks after the golf course. No one touches it. And she she wanted to preserve Abercrombie's masterpiece. And that over years, over decades, what you don't notice happening is all that entropy, the overgrowth of the trees. And so we've got a, a problem and also a pretty unique uh, opportunity where we've got a golf course that has not been touched since the architect died. All the greens, tees and bunkers are all in the exact same location. The green surrounds, nothing's been touched. So it's completely preserved. So it's a big job to take the trees back and the co playing corridors are 
incredibly narrow since those trees have been grown up and the leaf dropping from all the deciduous trees have been choking out the heather. So that has changed the aesthetics of the course uh, where areas that used to have heather now don't and there's some more broadleaf grasses which we're trying to deal with and the areas that used to be open are now covered in trees. So it, it's um, it's a process but it's fun at the same time because we're actually a lot of the architectural improvements we're not having to break ground we're just peeling back layers and exposing what was there before and it's quite incredible when you you speak to some of the members some of the visitors that have played it over the years that you, you never you played it say 10 years ago and you come back and you what was there we haven't changed anything it's always been there and then they're sort of seeing it for the first time so, so I guess it's a bit like buying a, a stately home, um, and, 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 and I suppose there's an element of uh, of caveat emptor that, um, that that actually all may not may not be quite as it appears. And then when you actually start looking around, you think, wow, that while this looks fantastic in terms of its facade, there's all sorts that needs doing, um, you know, on on the inside um, to. Uh, and, and it's not a case of doing new things; it is a case of bringing back the things that were there in the first place, right? Yeah, no, absolutely, and it, and it's merging actually where we can that modern technology with the old i mean we we've held off on fairy irrigation for a few years because we wanted to make sure we were making the right decision um it being gravel it the fairways get burnt out every year and i, I think we've had a bit of a reputation over the years as, as having poor fairway grass um and it's just because we're so susceptible to the heat stress with the gravel so um in in terms of the new technology helping us we, we've just put in a new system where the new wider playing corridors that we're pursuing now with cdp we're putting irrigation heads on the very edge of the fairway pointing in rather than fewer heads in the middle throwing water out which means we can now actually prevent any water going into the roughs or heathers because that original aesthetic that would have been was the the roughs and heathers were actually very lean areas or if you did, it might have been long grass, but if your ball goes in there, you, you don't lose your ball. Um, but with modern golf courses, and if you'd have put in an irrigation system even, say, five years ago, it, it would have been throwing water out into those rough areas, and that would have led to broadleaf grasses and then all, all very thick rough and the heather dying back. So it, you've got an old golf course, but if you want to maintain that aesthetic, you have to think very carefully about what you're, you're doing, where you're putting water, where you're putting nutrition, so we've been trying to think a lot about that and, and planning very carefully. Um, once we put an irrigation system in, I mean, it's in there for a good 20 years. So you better make sure that, you, you know, the, the design is right for what you're trying to achieve. Yeah, and it's, and it's not cheap either. So, so, so I guess you have the, the you have this particular set of problems. You, as discussed, you're very, very high up. So the water is trying to fall off the um, fall downwards. Obviously, observing gravity. Yeah. Um, you, you then have the fact that the, the the fairways and greens are generally very, very firm. Um, and then you have the, um, the, the this issue with uh, with the gravel. Um, and so all all these things, I guess, uh, you know, are leading to um, um, a set of challenges. Um, and and I, I think I'm right in saying that in the early days that, that that's probably the reason why the some of the fairways at the Addington were apparently nearly 80 yards wide in places. And I guess that's because there is so much movement of um, of, of the ball when it's on the floor. Um, so, but but I guess that over the years uh, with all that tree growth, then um, then th those areas have been well, I guess less than halved in areas, right? Yeah, the, I mean some of the fairways were enormous, and we've, I mean the 12th now is going to be. I think 100 and 
something 100 plus yards across you know the a double fairway between two and four now is is going to be 100 and well it's probably going to be 200 yards or so but um that you but you're right you're absolutely right on the fifth i think the fifth might be going back to about 70 yards wide and but people might say you're making it easier but if if the slope on the fairway is you know 20 odd degrees then you need all that width. I mean, the, the, your your target is actually a, a 10 yard wide strip up the right because the ball moves so heavily to the left, as does the wind. And when it's firm in the summer, you know, for anyone playing golf on, on firm fairways knows that if, if you're slightly offline, you've got a bit of curve on the ball. You can quickly see your ball in, landing in the middle of the fairway and running into the into the rough. And, it, and you just touched there on the uh, on the twelfth, and I'm you know I'm I'm dying to ask you, um, how, how does one play the twelfth? What can you give us some? Well, can you can you describe the hole for, for people who don't know? Because I mean, it's an, an extraordinary hole, uh, and then just describe yeah. how you think is the best way to play it. So it's 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 a par five today, but I'll I'll get onto that in a minute. But it's um, say for about two hundred yards, it's a flattish, slightly sloping down fairway, and then it drops down about 60 feet with these huge steps going downhill. And then that leaves you about 100, it's, so it's about 485 yards in total, 200 yards out the fairway drops, and uh, that drops down 60 feet for about 60 yards. And then you're down in a bowl where the green then rises up in front of you, back up to where you were at, at tee height. So it rises up another 60 feet. Um, very dramatic. That, the fairway sits up high with both left and right dropping down into valleys that then meet that that lower spot at about 150 yards out from the green um so i hope i've described that well if people haven't seen it before um but it the problem has been that those steps are so that lead down to the the uh the dip they're so steep that they've not really been manageable and what happened as far as we can tell during world war ii that they grew up with heather and i think they always would have had a bit of heather on them but the heather was left to grow quite thick and what it did was effectively created a, a cross hazard across the front of, at 200 yards out uh, from the tee where any ball going past that point really you had a 50 50 chance that you were going to lose your ball in the heather so that meant that it was a par five where you had to lay up short of 200 yards and then that left you 250 yards to a green where you couldn't really miss. And so the bit Mickey Mouse, I think people find not being able to hit a driver off a par five, not being able to take some risk on for some added reward. And uh, so, yeah, we've been thinking for years really about what to do, do with it. And I've often thought, you know, what were the intentions with this design? And I think as we've, discovered more with CDP looking into the history, we found that really it was actually a par four. It was more of a bogey five. And yeah. if you think about that step, not having Heather and actually letting the ball run through, you had a 485 yard hole in 1920 with hickories that left you with a good, say, 200 to 220 yard drive that would have left you 140 yards into the green. I mean, at, from a 480-yard hole, that's a sensational golf hole in 1920. So we're trying to restore that, really. So the goal will be that we've significantly widened the fairway. It's going to be over 100 yards wide. Down the left, there's a lot more heather, and 
you've probably got a 250-yard carry to, to hit a 25-yard fairway down the left that will give you a bit more of, a, of an angle into the green. Down the right, you're going to have about a 45-yard fairway where you've got no carry to cover, but you've got a bit of a hanging line you're going to have further into the green. So more width, bit safer, but a harder shot in. And then down the middle, you're still going to have some heather, but we're going to cut it a lot shorter. So you, you, you're not going to risk losing your ball, uh, but you're going to potentially have a 150-yard wide corridor down the middle. And it's a bit more hit and miss as to where your ball exactly is going to end up. So we're going to try and reintroduce a lot of that strategy, that decision-making process off the tee. Um, little, I think, little additives like uh, having a pin sheet on the tee uh, so people can actually see on that hole where the pin is. I mean, that green is so dramatic as well. And the fairway being to the corridor 150 yards wide, it's going to make a massive difference to you whether you choose to play down the left, the right or the middle, depending on where the pin is. So, that, yeah, that's uh, a little taste of, I think, what some of the strategy we're trying to reintroduce, <laughs> some of the excitement on the course. Well, I don't know if that was the short answer or the long answer. <laughs> it just, it just, But it just shows, you know, how much there is um, um, to, to, to go at um, is, is an amazing hole for anyone who hasn't seen it. Um, I, I guess we really ought to ask you um, how you came to make the decision to start working with um, Clayton De Vries and Pont. Um, I mean, I, I mean, for a start, it must have been an enormous decision to say, right, OK, so we're going to do something dramatic here. Um, you know, we're going to going to work with some um, architects. Um, so I guess so initially, what you know, what what tipped you over to say now's the time? And then how did you come to choose um, CDP? So we had for for years since we bought the place, uh, we were taking out rhododendrons and just overgrowth in the size of the fairways. I mean, before, if you hit if you missed the fairway before you lost your ball, it was just simple as that. You, you just you couldn't see through to, to one fairway to another. So we we never really put a spade in the ground other than rebuilding some of the tees, not losing any teeing ground. But that was about the extent of what our sort of architectural changes were. And we, after taking a lot of these uh, this overgrowth out between the holes, I think we then started to realise what we had. And then I started to uncover just personally some of the history of the club and realising what the pedigree was. You know, articles in the 1930s referring to it as no doubt undoubtedly the most exclusive club in the in the country if not the world and you, all of that history you, i don't think any of us realized we knew it was a good course we never knew it was quite that highly regarded um and then i met uh i, I found some old i was always on the lookout for old photographs of the course because because of the fire in the clubhouse in the 50s there was just nothing available and i found this website with photos on it on it uh, from 2002 and 2004 which was before we purchased the golf course i was trying to find some before shots of before we took some of the trees out and uh it, w it i emailed the person because i couldn't download the photos it didn't let me and it ended up being frank pont and he it was his website that he sort of cataloged his own personal visits to golf courses uh, he then invited me to a talk he was doing at West Hill about golf course architecture, and he invited me to Tandridge to see some of the work he was doing there. So I had known Frank for a few years, and then I, I, oh, just over time, the idea of wanting to take the Addington to the next level, and I think we, we had exhausted everything that we could have done in-house, um, and I was very reluctant to make any dramatic changes without proper supervision um, and then 
I had been discussing the idea of reinstating uh, a lost par three hole with Frank. And then he announced uh, the partnership with uh, Clayton and DeVries. And I mean, I had a lot of time for those guys. I mean, I, I knew Michael Clayton, not personally, but I knew of him through his just social media presence and podcasts mm. and taking an interest mm. in that sort of thing. And uh, I've spent a bit of time in the States and I'd say if you had to name, you know, the, the top high, most highly regarded architects and shapers in the world, you'd be looking at, you know, Core Crenshaw, um, Core Crenshaw, uh, Tom Doak and Gil Hansen. And I, and I always felt that De Vries would be number four in that if uh, maybe if he had sort of marketed himself a bit, um, a bit better or, or had yeah. a of an ego, I say sometimes, but perhaps mm. a bit uh, overly insulting to the other three. But um no, I always had great respect for Mike DeVries' work. Absolutely loved his his uh, his his new designs. And um, Frank Pont is a Heathland specialist and and had a specialty in Colt. And as Colt. Uh, yeah, as the as we learnt more that Colt had been involved, it all just started to make more sense. I mean, Frank's involvement with Heathland restorations and and Clates is is experience with playing and DeVries' expertise in shaping. It's uh, it was it was just a, a dream solution, really. And and then also uh, Frank being in Holland just meant that he was relatively local. And just just tell us where you're up to at the moment in the project and where that project is going to take you in the uh, in the months and probably years to come. So Covid put a bit of a spanner in the works, but um, I think our intention was always not to I mean, the nuclear option would be just close the course and do it in 12 months, but no, mm. no one wants to do that. You know, we've got members that want to play the golf course. Mm. Uh, so a, a slower burn is is the right approach. And I think also um, speaking to CDP and their experience with other golf courses, you, you do learn a lot when you're restoring the golf course. You know, you, if you rebuild one bunker, you learn from that one and te- every site is different. They're site-specific issues. And we can learn from the work for the next phases of work. So doing too much too quickly uh, has its own problems. And also our team need to need to learn as well. It's not just the architects, but our, our greenkeepers on site, they need to understand what how they're maintaining what we're designing. Um, so taking it a bit more slowly, doing say two to six holes a year over three to five years it, it is the plan um, with, I think probably the first bit of architectural improvement would be in the autumn of 2022 and uh, the first stage of that is is now to do some tree removal where the trees have been overgrowing and and, and manage that woodland properly open up some of the playing corridors um, with a view I mean as Frank puts it to you, you sort of you want to create your canvas before you start painting on it so that's the process we're in at the moment is uh, tree removal and then architectural improvements in autumn 2022. Okay. So it's, it's going to be a few years before we see um, something like the uh, the fruit of your labours. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, Clates mentions uh, Kingston Heath and, you know, they're the sort of gold standard of course restoration. And I think if you look at, uh, they probably started in the 80s and, you know, they're in the world top 100 now, but it's, mm we we can get the broad brush strokes right in the first five years and there'll be fine tuning and it, even if we had everything finished tomorrow um 
it's still you're dealing with people's perceptions and and you've got to get people to the course to visit it and that takes that can take years and years and years so um you know we're we're not trying to rush it we're trying to do it right uh you know we're here for the long term um we see ourselves as custodians of the golf course really and it's going to pass on to the next generation we want to we want to look after it properly but we will keep making the right moves and keep knocking on that door and if we just um, if we just finish by looking ahead to say in in, in 10 years time um what, what what are your ambitions for the Addington? Where, where do you think it can be in, in say, 10 years' time? If we get everything right, it, it's I don't know what the ceiling is. I mean, there's there's no limit, really. I mean, it, it will it will be in the top 100 in the world. I, I've got no doubt about that if, if we do everything right. Um, but I, I don't want to put a ceiling on it. Just it's a totally unique golf course. And we have an opportunity as a proprietary club to make decisions a lot more quickly and a lot more boldly um, than, say, a members club who have to take everything to committee and, and spend years making decisions that ultimately get diluted. So it, I, I think the sky's the limit. Well, it certainly sounds like there is a fascinating period ahead for the Addington. Ryan, thanks for joining us on the NCG Top 100s podcast. Thanks. And Dan, thank you for joining us as well. We look forward to getting together soon to talk about another great golf course. Yeah, well, we'll have something to live up to there, won't we? That was fascinating. And you can view all of our ranking lists by clicking onto our website, nationalclubgolfer.com, and heading over to the NCG Top 100s banner. Thanks for joining us on NCG Top 100s podcast. We look forward to seeing you again soon.